This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Welcome back to the Struck Aerospace Engineering Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. On today's show, we're going to talk about Jeff Bezos completing his uh, maiden voyage with Blue Origin today. We'll talk about Tesla and some predictions from Morgan Stanley that they might enter the EVTOL market at some point. Uh, The latest in the WISC Archer fights. And lastly, uh, an iFly concept, um, which is basically a single passenger uh, EVTOL and whether this idea of having a residential um, you know, own your own EVTOL uh, aircraft might be something that could be come to fruition in the future. So Alan Hall's here. Alan, how are you, sir? Hey, great, Dan. A lot of crazy space news lately with uh, Bezos going into space and all the Twitter hate that comes <laughs> came after yeah. that. So that's an interesting uh, morning to watch the launch and, and know that there's just going to be a wrath of of uh, anti-Bezos, anti-Amazon hate on Twitter. You just do it. It's coming. Well, I saw a good, um, so, you know, we all grew up with The Onion, which is that great satirical news network, which is still kicking, but there's a new one called The Babylon Bee, and there was a headline today. It said, um, Space Rejects Amazon Package, and it showed the (laughs) capsule landing back on our origin, or back on Earth. (laughs) So that was good, and it's clever. Um, Yeah. But what were your what were your thoughts about the voyage? Obviously, it went off without a hitch. Um, I mean, good for right. Bezos for being on the maiden voyage, you know, proving it out, just like the, um, you know, the the manufacturer no, of the Virgin Galactic. Bull- yeah, and I was gonna say the bulletproof vest back in the day. You know, the guy, the inventor <laughs> of that. You know, that video is crazy. He just puts it right to his chest and shoots it, then gets up and like fires off a couple of targets. Like you have to, if you want people to believe in it. You know, you've got to be the first sometimes, be the pioneer, take the risk, but. Um, well, I mean, was there really that much risk in this? No. Uh, well, I think the the odds makers said there was about ten percent risk based on the number of flights that they had done and just watching from the outside. That's a number that was bantied about. I saw a couple of times in some engineering discussions, but it was probably less than that. You know, anytime you you hook yourself to a hydrogen filled, oxygen filled <laughs> tube, there's a chance for something to go wrong, and uh, there's there's inherent risk with all of it even on the return back you know the parishes don't deploy all that all those things have to work flawlessly for there to be a successful flight so i I, but i don't think there's going to put bezos at too much risk it does seem to coincide that he sort of resigned from the company so to speak from day-to-day activities before he went off and got in this rocket because that would have been really cataclysmic for amazon stock if he had been at at the head and there mm-hmm. been uh, some sort of uh, cataclysmic event that happened during that flight, but it does seem like they have done their homework. You know, you know what I'm saying. If you if you watch, if you I don't know if you had a chance to watch all the broadcast, but I watched uh, I watched some, a portion of it. I saw the launch and the aftermath. Mm-hmm. I didn't listen to all the, the the preamble, but yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of preamble today, but I had watched some of the earlier launches and the videos that go 
go along with that describing the different phases of flight and how the systems work. So it's not super complicated and it's not getting in orbit, obviously, like SpaceX has done <laughs> quite a bit mm -hmm. lately. So it's a much simpler, uh, less complicated rocket structure. But I do think there is, they're going to keep going forward. I think that's the most important part is there's going to be a, now Boeing has some competition with Elon Musk and SpaceX, which is really trying to capture the launch market. And then Blue Origins is somewhere in third place right now, it seems like, or fourth place, just trying to keep ahead and be, be relevant at this at this point and i think that's why you you put bezos in it is just so that you, all the all the buyers of that or launchers of of uh, spacecraft see this um successful flight and as the rocket develops further they're going to try to market it and sell space on it and time on it and get up to orbit that's where they're going so the marketing here is super important it's just like anything that comes to market a little bit late, it's hard to catch up, and they're going to have to spend a lot of time catching up because SpaceX has done so well. Well, I mean, wh where do you see, so obviously aerospace, things always trickle down into mainstream consumerism. Um, I mean, what's going to trickle down from, from all these different flights, whether it's Blue Origin, whether it's SpaceX, you know, any of them? I mean, what are we going to get from this as a, as a species? Because I know, like you said, it has taken a lot of flack where people are like, it's burning too much CEO, you should be helping us on Earth with, your, with, with all of our social problems, which I, yeah. you know, there's, that's a, okay. a complicated argument. But um, and what, what, what trickles down technology-wise from some of these launches? Well, the, I think the biggest one lately has been the return of the rocket portion to land itself and be reusable, which five years ago was really unheard of. And now it's an everyday event. I think that's been the biggest technology improvement is the sort of the, how the rocket engines work, uh, starting and stopping them, which is always problematic. And the um, getting the, the, the modeling right of computationally how to, to land this rocket. So there's, there's as you watch SpaceX particularly learn how to, re, to recover those rockets, a lot of the early events were not good. Uh, and, and so you, you start off with this engineering model, how it's supposed to work, and then you realize the rocket doesn't work that way. And I was watching a video yesterday, which is sort of relevant to this, in that one of the earlier earliest launches on SpaceX, Falcon 9, was when it separated the first the first section came off and the second section kind of went on into space there there's a little pause the first main engine shut off okay and then and there's a little separation that happens and then the second stage kicks on and goes on into space well when that when that happened the the first stage didn't really shut off it had a little bit of thrust left on it as you shut down a rocket motor and it whacked into the bottom of the second stage and i guarantee you someone back on earth's like holy cow that was not supposed to happen what's going on and that's where you learn the the hard lessons of how the rocket motors and all the systems actually perform versus what you have modeled them to perform so there's a lot of systems learning that goes on there and performance that just improves the, the reliability uh, the sustainability and uh, just increases the safety record of all these rocket launches over time. And so what it will do from like people like us, Dan, you know, if Musk is going to put up 
basically internet in the sky and Bezos is sort of talking about the same thing. The Europeans are talking about a similar system of internet in the sky. To keep the cost down, you have to have reusable rockets. You have to have reliable systems that launch it. And so it lowers the cost for people like you and me of internet access. That's what it'll do. Uh, versus just you know one and done rockets, you're going to be able to lower the cost of launches, which has been a, a which is by itself a remarkable feat, because when when my wife and I worked in the space industry and, and did spacecraft launches, the rocket's a lot of money and it's a one and done event, and if it doesn't work and you lose a spacecraft, then you're starting you know you just it just multiplies the cost of a communication satellite. Yeah. Now that everything's much more reliable, right? And so even though we don't may not see a, a, a like a Velcro or a WD forty, which is the things you hear about from NASA, mm-hmm. like hey, what was what did NASA produce? Well, there's Velcro, Tang, Tang, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do kids even have that anymore? I'm not even sure that's a thing anymore. I still think Tang is good. I like Tang. I've always liked Tang. Oh yeah, do they sell it? I haven't seen it yeah. forever. Okay, it's next to like the oh, Gatorade yeah. powder and next to the Country Time lemonade oh. powder. But I don't think sure. people really. I think it's. I think it's seen its heyday a long time ago. It's not real popular. I don't think anymore. But mm. anyway. <laughs> but yeah. don't you see that as like those are those uh, fallouts of this of the 1960s and early 70s uh, investment in space that we made is oh well it's Velcro, <laughs> but there's mm-hmm. a lot more to it than that, and I think you just don't because it's it's so complicated. You may not realize all the material advancement and all the the technical things that got better the computers got better i mean there's just a driving factor from every aspect to to make rockets safer so you know we needed the 1960s and 70s to get to the 2021s and it's an evolution but you know hearing some of these scientists talk you kind of rebut um, musk's ideologic vision of mars they're like, this is like the terribly inhospitable planet. It's like so hot, so cold, like the atmosphere is very toxic. I mean, just like everything about it is not a place that humans really want to be. So it's it's unclear like what the what the end game is from that, like making our species interplanetary or multiplanetary, whatever the term is. Um, I mean, I, where do you fall on that? I, I, I understand the vision, but I also... See- understand the difficulties with it and i think that's why musk doesn't have a lot of followers yet on on the mars vision there are some but there's there's not as many as i thought there would be at this point because the success of spacex would there thereby normally say well if musk can do x with all the launches he can do y which is put people on mars but that's just a huge technological leap and i i think you know just in the lowering the cost of rocket launches, it's going to make a big difference in things like monitoring the Earth, which is what a lot of spacecraft do today. There's a lot of Earth monitoring satellites uh, that you know check cloud cover, check for uh, gases in the atmosphere, check for the temperature of the Earth, check for all kinds of I- the ice flows, right? So there's a lot of different pieces that are flying around that you and I don't have a lot of investment in or know a lot about because it don't, don't really affect us on a day-to-day like the internet would. But there's a lot of science in the sky right now. And if we can lower the cost of that, that means we can, for one, monitor the earth a lot better than we have in the last previous 40 years. And I think that's that's a huge benefit by itself. So I, to me personally, I don't really 
care if we get to Mars. I think more importantly, it allows us to learn more about Earth. It allows us to do things less expensively, which then, in in the case of Internet, may bring Internet to the world where places where they just don't have it right now. And I think that's can be very, very beneficial. Yeah, and that's that is a good point because you know here in America, especially in a city, you don't you just don't think about other countries and how unconnected some of them are. Right. You know, like any you know, like Africa, India, places that there are lots of people without internet who could suddenly have access to remote jobs and you know a lot of these like School. the way the the way yeah uh, obviously yeah. education yeah just the way the world's changing. I mean you know with like some of these. Um, companies like Fiverr, where you can get graphic design done real cheap here in U.S., where it's right. actually paying a pretty decent wage to someone in another country who's willing to design something that's pretty good for 10, 15 bucks. And you're like, hey, this is amazing, cheap labor. And they're like, this is a good wage for me over here. And I'm working from home. And so, right. wh- you know, whether or not that economy is good, I don't know. Because I've had questions about like, why, why is this cost so little? Like, why aren't they getting paid more? Like, I, you never know. Anyway. But yeah, it's going to well, open up a lot of opportunities to a lot of people. Well, and we do know that as the economic economic conditions increase for areas where there where there's just poverty now, if we can get them to some median moderate level of income, it changes the way they deal with the environment. So if mm-hmm. we're actually looking to reduce things like the burning of coal, or the burning of dung, or the burning of wood, or all the other things that, that get burned for, for fuel, uh, one, having internet connections so, and, and so that maybe they can do a job would be fantastic. Increase their income. They'll change their energy sources, which will reduce CO2 emissions. And a lot of things like that will change. So the f- consequences, the follow-on effect of having internet or in, like, uh, in that slingshot program with Dean Kamen about getting clean water to places, how it just mm-hmm. radically changes the lifestyle of everybody around that one piece of technology, we don't know how far it's going to go, but it feels like it's going to be a, a much more positive thing. And, and you know, obviously Bezos is going to want to have some play in that just as much as, as Musk does. So this is where you know, we haven't seen that sort of clash of the titans in industry like we maybe have seen in the late 1800s, like with the railroads and the oil and the Carnegie's and you know, right or or the and Ford, right? You know, having these massive colossal companies hasn't happened in a long time for for whatever reason. We feel like we're kind of that is starting to crank up again in terms of just billionaires with a lot of cash investing in large-scale projects around the country, in the U.S. mostly, but also around the world. And, you know, with the follow-on consequences that you just don't know, but I do. that's why I think this Twitter thing's happening. People are very uncomfortable about where this is going and letting a couple of uh, billionaires, as it's described on Twitter, letting a couple of billionaires decide the future of the economy, the future of the country, Da, 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 da. It's the same thing, the argument we had 150 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're going to relive it in a more technological way. This was just fascinating. It's fascinating. It's going to be a lot of changes. All right, moving on to our EVTOL segment today. So, speaking of uh, Elon Musk and Tesla, um, Adam Jonas, a Morgan Stanley analyst uh, who covers Tesla quite a bit, um, he believes that 
Tesla's going to get into the electric vertical takeoff and landing space at some point. Now on a, uh, it was a Joe Rogan podcast, wasn't it? A couple months ago. I think so. I was going to ask you the same thing. I think it was. And he was asked about aircraft. Yeah, it was Joe Rogan. And he was asked about going into aviation. He said, you know, there's just such a, such a hard problem to solve with electric aircraft. But I think he was talking about <laughs> commercial airliners, like making a 737 electric. You know, and you've talked, that, talked about the mm. difficulties of that here. Um, yeah. But I don't think that question was posed as, as far as, like, from an EVTOL standpoint. Because it seems to me mm. like this would be something that Tesla's engineering and obviously their battery tech and... Um, financial resources could certainly handle. I mean, Alan, Alan do you think they're going to throw <laughs> their hat into the ring here? I I watched that Musk question from Rogan, and it was like in the third hour, like the last ten minutes of yeah, of it, that, was the, it was of that interview. Last, it was yeah. way at the end, and one of uh, that's interesting that you thought it was about seven thirty sevens because I thought it was about EVTOLs. And so maybe hmm. maybe you're you're on the Rogan side of that, and I was on the Musk side of that because that's what we're dealing well, with I, today. Well, I felt like the whole conversation was framed about like commercial transportation. Of course, like the EVTOL market, hmm. they hope to be, but you know they were talking about. Uh, I think they were talking about tractor trailers. They definitely mentioned trains, just the other things that he could electrify essentially. Right. So if, at least in right. my mind, I was like. I thought they were talking about commercial, but we'll have to go back to the clip. But sorry, continue on. <laughs> well, I, I do think that's interesting because I think his response was way beyond what Rogan was able to comprehend. When I was listening to it, it the thing that registered with me is that Musk clearly understands the engineering challenges that are, that are in front of any aircraft developer, which means that he has had those conversations with engineers asking about that marketplace, that he's been at least dipped his toe into it or been listening to a series of discussions talking about the, the pluses and minuses of trying to be in that business. So maybe he's, he's sitting on some of the boards or maybe he's, he's, he knows people are on some of the boards that are on these eVTOL companies just trying to get a flavor for what's happening. But he had very specific issues with developing an aircraft, and every one of them was right. So that, mm -hmm. that just said to me, knowledge. You know, he has been playing around a little bit, feeling out that market. But don't you think that the area where Musk can enter it immediately is in the battery market like they, it's all about batteries and they seem to be yeah. waiting for musk to develop some magic battery and just you know just the bouncing rounds of things you hear engineering wise you know you got this sort of uh gold standard which has never been really developed as a solid state battery and there's a feeling like maybe Toyota has developed a solid-state battery. Maybe that's what Joby's living on, is that maybe Toyota can develop the solid-state battery. At the same time, you know that if there is this utopia of batteries and it is solid-state, you know that Musk is looking at it, too. So maybe it's more mm -hmm. about the play of, I'm going to sell a bunch of batteries into that aircraft market, which, you know, from... from it, it must concern is is easy. I don't have to get involved in making an airplane; just sell batteries. Don't, don't you think that's a much quicker way to to be in the marketplace and be like a big contributor to it? Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know the answer to this, but is is Tesla's battery technology that far in a way advanced over a company like Panasonic, which is one of the global leaders? Like, is tel is Tesla really a battery company, or are they more of a car company? Are they like I I, I don't know where their, like, highest-level proprietary thing falls. Do you? 
I would say what, other batteries, it's really battery that side. special. Well, yeah, I think I think the answer is yes in the sense that they can mass produce them. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it special. And they are a high-quality battery, as we have seen lately. The battery has in- improved significantly since they first started. And just the massive scale of, of the infrastructure that they built to make batteries allows them to drive down costs and to also push technology into the battery so you can make those 2%, 3% improvements in multiple areas to, to keep going up the technology chain and lowering the cost, increasing the density, energy density, all those things. I think Musk has, in a sense, sort of captured that. But again, it's a question of sort of the lithium technology versus this uh, unyet proven solid state battery. You know, where, where does all that fit in terms of how much you're going to invest in either one of them? Which one's going to come out with a winner in the end? Who knows, right? I, but don't you think that from Musk's standpoint, they've got so much risk on the space side and also on the car side in terms of liability that do you want to put more liability on your company or, or create another company? I, from a business yeah, standpoint, I, it, I don't know. It does seem like on the one hand, they could just sort of, hey, take your batteries and like jump in the jump in the ring. But on the other hand, like you mm. said, yeah. It would take a lot of a lot more regulatory stuff. There'd be a lot more hurdles that way. You know, like you said, if there's, you know, a crash or any of that's going to really set you back. It's going to happen to any of these companies. <laughs> um, yeah, they're going to have to play catch up to other. Even though they have brand awareness and a pretty strong brand moat, they're going to have to play catch up to Joby and some of the other ones, right? So they would. Yeah. they totally would. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll give you another piece of information that happened. This week also, which is, I saw an announcement from the FAA that they're going to put an office, like a space launch office down in Texas. I thought, wow, that's interesting. Okay, why is the FAA doing that? Well, Bezos's launches are out of Texas and all the Musk's launch are out of Texas. So now I got this regulatory thing, uh, entity going to be closer by to help regulate, I guess, what happens on, on the launch side. And I thought, well... You know, that's probably as much regulatory oversight at any of the companies that Musk has ever seen as the FAA on the space launch. But if Mm -hmm. he starts going further and pushes into the aircraft side, he's really going to get a lot of of oversight. And I'm not sure he's super comfortable with that because I don't know on the car side, Dan, how much oversight has there been on the regulatory side? There's not a huge amount. Yeah, I don't know. Cars a cars a car sort of thing, right? It's it's going to be a, 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 a again. I look I, I look at it as a as uh, someone's running a company. Do I want to take on the risk, and how much money do I need to pour into it to get any my investment out out of it? And well, I feel like they could also. Long. Yeah, well, I also feel like they could wait and be like, let's let a bunch of these guys fight it out. For a while, let's let the mm. let's let this simmer for another five years, and then because they do have such a strong brand, they could just be like, let's let you know these guys duke it out, figure out the airports, the you know the infrastructure, <laughs> all that yeah. stuff, prove out the right. business model. Then we'll just jump in the ring later with our big brand and sell a premium EVTOL. You know, like just like they, Apple they could. could make Apple could enter any moment, any any market at any time, and people are going to yeah. be like, wow. I want an Apple 
toaster. I want an Apple, you know, <laughs> bus. I want an Apple, um, you know, whatever. Anything they could make. People would be like, they just have such trust in their brand. And I feel like Tesla has a similar brand, even though they have, you know, one one offering right now, cars. But yeah, they probably but don't do you have think, to, to take on that risk early. They could probably wait. Do you think the autonomous feature of the car is their biggest selling point today? Yeah, like it's self-driving. I, don't know. I mean, and on some level, self-driving. Do you think that's the biggest? Like, ooh, that's a I, Tesla. It sort of self-drives. Is that their number one feature? By or is it the electric? I, I don't think so. It? I think it's just the sleek, the quiet car. It's it's just futuristic. It's just got a the veneer. I mean, if you have a Tesla, it's like you're kind of a somebody, right? It says something about you. I think. <laughs> um, okay. It's like that confluence of environmentally friendly. It's sleek. It's new. You're the forward thinker. You care about the planet. Plus, it's expensive, okay. and people know that. So, I feel like it, yeah. I feel like it's really just a good luxury product in general. I don't know that people buy it really so much for the the self driving, and that's still a really complicated, long way long way away from what I yeah I've I read think about AI, I think so. It's still so hard to solve for that. It is, but the the latest I would say over the last three months or so, maybe a little bit longer, the Musk tweets about Tesla seem to revolve around software updates and autonomous driving. And the feedback that gets from Twitter users about fully autonomous, fully autonomous, using the cameras, not using LiDAR to do the driving, right? And mm -hmm. in the eVTOL market, there is definitely going to be a push for autonomous flight, no pilots. The problem is, is that the FAA has no regulatory basis to deal with it yet. And if Musk can walk in with an autonomous driving car, they may have the software and the technical ability to make an autonomous aircraft and handle the regulatory aspect because their technology is so far in front of something that an aircraft company would develop. I mean, you know, obviously, 10 years ahead of everybody else. That may be their entry into market with the batteries, which then could make eventually into an airplane. But there's a lot of regulatory hurdles to, to, to jump over right now. Yeah. So, but that's a, it's a, a fun thread to follow. So we'll see what, you know, whether, you know, Apple might enter the car market at some point and duke it out with Tesla, as you talked about sort of like billionaire, not billionaires, but just, you know, these high powered <laughs> titans of industry clashing. And then also, yeah, yeah, we'll see what, what Tesla does going forward because they could enter any market they want conceivably and do quite yes. well at it. <laughs> Moving on here, uh, there's some just a new peep out of Archer. They filed an additional brief opposing Whisk's motion for preliminary injunction, um, and they've said that Whisk has not provided any relevant evidence to support their claims that Archer has stolen, um, you know, proprietary information from them. So, Alan, does this does this strike you as anything new, or they're just continuing just to to push? And do you think this is where do you think this is going at this at this stage? <laughs> When I read that, the latest info coming out of Archer, I think you have to read it with a legal framework in mind and how a, a lawyer or lawyer slash PR person would write a press release such that it doesn't come back to haunt them. And mm -hmm. that means where's the dog that's not barking? Where Where is this thing that's hanging out there that is the, the point of dispute which no one's talking about, that, that Archer is not going to talk about. And it seems to be in the engineers. 
that is where the, the pinch point is. The Archer press release said something like, to the effect of, Whisk has not been able to show that Archer has any of Whisk's material. Archer Company. Well, Archer as a company is with engineers or without engineers, right? Is it this these engineers that supposedly downloaded data when they walked out the out of the WISC door? Is 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 Archer framing this such a way that they exclude the the employees? <laughs> How does what does that exactly mm. mean? Because the FBI seems to be involved. That that seems to have happened. Now what where that leads who knows you know the fbi right now i think you could make a lot of cases that they're not very effective at anything so are are, is any is any any real consequences going to happen if data was taken is the fbi going to press charges against the engineers who theoretically took some material kind of doubt it not unless there's a foreign entity evolved like if china was involved then yes they, they will do that but between sort of U.S. companies or, uh, you know, non-adversarial countries, I don't think they're going to do that. But don't, don't you see that that's the, just a, the way that those press releases are worded, it's such that they could dump all the engineers tomorrow that are involved in that and continue on and say, we're, we're not involved, uh, and continue, continue on and try to convince a judge that it's not even worth listening to Whisk's case that's that's what I read into it because it's so finely worded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just just scanning through the actual um, brief itself, you know, all their different points. You know, Whisk's speculation about new timelines is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whisk has not established imminent irreparable harm. Um, right. You know, I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> so just glancing through. Um, man, what a job these, these judges and lawyers have some technical, that's why they get paid what they get paid. But, um, yeah, Yeah. it's, uh, it just, it, like you said, it seems more complicated than it, than it might seem with just a simple press, press release or a, it just like, seems like there's a lot of stuff that maybe is unknowable or just really tough to, to, to flesh out. Do you feel like there's a sacrificial lamb in the middle of this that's going to get dumped at some point and it's a question of when like archer if, yeah, if kinda, somebody did take information right so if if there is some engineer that did happen to take information from whisk and ends up at archer what does archer not want to do straight out because it feels like an admission of guilt is to fire the engineer is <laughs> maybe that would have been the right thing to do early on and and said oh yeah totally this person needs to go gone and mm-hmm. you know de-escalate it but once you don't do that then you gotta hang on to that person until a judge basically tells you to to dump them and i feel like that that's going to be the happy medium like okay these engineers have to go but at that point it's kind of too late i think that's what whisk is feeling it's too late so last thing alan that i want to get your take on is this iFly single-seat EVTOL. <laughs> and so the market that they're looking to go after here is, and this is cool, it's like white. Again, like Apple could make this, like this, it's a shiny, yeah. you know, interesting iPod of the sky. Um, but, you know, it's, <laughs> so they don't want to have this certified to fly commercially. They would just want to have it as like a powered ultralight. So no mm, registration, right. no pilot's license. Right. Um, 
and then it would have to weigh less than 115 kilograms, which is 254 American pounds, and max out at uh, 64 miles per hour, which would be plenty to just get you wherever you want to go and look like that weirdo landing at the farmer's market with your <laughs> you know, one-person uh, EVCOL. But this looks right. like basically like a chair with like a barbell attached to a top and below it. With, a, with like a ducted fan at each end of, if you could imagine a barbell like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, is that, a, is that a legitimate market where we're going to see a whole subsection of EVTOLs where they're in this, this ultralight category where you don't need a pilot's license? I mean, is that, is that going to be a thing? That seems kind of cool, is. but also kind, of, kind yeah. of crazy. Well, there has been the light sport aircraft and the ultralight aircraft marketplace for a, a long time, right? That's how... Burt Rutan really got into the aviation industry was by making small kit airplanes. And there's always been this kit market that has existed in the United States and has been pretty vibrant. I don't think anybody's got super rich off of it, but there's been a number of small aircraft companies and they're making really complicated designs, carbon fiber airplanes with all kinds of uh, fancy power plants and different pieces of technology. They're way more advanced than I remember. Now, in the, was it this? So, in about a week or so, so we're at, towards the end of July. So, in about a week or so is Oshkosh, which is the Experimental Aircraft Association's big fly in. So, there'll be thousands of airplanes and 100,000 people that'll show up typically in <laughs> non COVID times. I'm not sure they're going to get that this year. But when you walk down the aisles, and I did that back oof, probably in the 80s or so. Um, there's all kinds of aircraft variations and kit build this and kit build that and new technology here and this kind of idea about here. So you just get this really uh, diverse set of interpretations of what an aircraft is and, and what performance means and what is a useful feature on, you know, someone who flies up in the Northwest was mountainous, a bunch of rivers and going flying go fishing versus what you would need in the northeast where there's just a lot of cities and you're going from home to work sort of thing there's just a, such a variety of ideas and concepts i do think you're going to start seeing at oshkosh some of these electric aircraft in fact there i know that some there's going to be some electric aircraft showing up at oshkosh so that uh technology and the way that let's I, I, call them creative pilots. I don't, a lot of people are not engineers or people are very handy with, with tools and know how to make things. I can build an airplane and fly it. But I think that's one of the weird things about the United States that doesn't exist in, in a lot of other countries is that you have a lot of amateur pilots or amateur aircraft builders in the States and, and in Canada a little bit that do push the envelope, and I if you I I follow, and you should follow some of this, Dan, because it's kind of cool. There's some light aircraft uh, podcasts and YouTube channels that showing pe average people building their own aircraft, and all the little bits of technology uh, that they put in the aircraft is just fascinating because uh, hmm. that's the sort of the grassroots way of uh, making airplanes better different more responsive whatever you want and it's like it's like in a day when you used to build your own car right that that on the airplane side has never really gone away and it will you i think you will see more and more and more electric things in fact 
Did you see the article? I think it came out today about the company that's going to buy a bunch of Cessna caravans, which is the high wing single engine in the front propeller driven aircraft. I think they're going to buy 100 with an option to buy 50 more. And they're mm-hmm. going to electrify Tex- them. Textron. Put- Textron, Textron yeah. Aviation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And there you go. Right. It's, it's a relatively small company, so to speak, uh, that's buying these aircraft off the off the production line, going to take out the the piston engine or turbine engine. I don't even remember what's in a caravan anymore. And put batteries in an electric motor in it and go fly it. That is a big step. It doesn't seem like a huge technology step. But it is. And I, I think those kind of steps will get us to a more electric future. So the experimental stuff uh, up at Oshkosh is, is wonderful. Uh, these companies that are modding existing aircraft and putting electric motors on it is going to move the industry forward because you're going to learn a lot from them. And that's, at least in the United States, has been the way technology happens. Is, uh, mm-hmm. Elon Musk doesn't develop everything. And a lot of it's sort of developed by people in their garages, and then it just gets picked up by someone like Musco's cash to, to bring it to reality. Do you, do you see that much? I mean, you, you haven't been around that, that kind of small homebrew aircraft market, but do you no. see, kind of see how that – so it's like people building the computers, like Steve Jobs and Wozniak building a, a computer – Saying we want a computer, let's just go build it. Off the shelf parts and putting it together. Yeah, Surfair was right. the company that has bought those from Textron, which is the maker of the Cessna. Yes. Yeah, right, um, right. But yeah, I mean that makes sense. Like, why try to do all of it? Like, if you just got one piece, you know, like, and that's what Steve Wozniak. I heard him talking recently about the right to repair, which is a a movement <laughs> that I'm happy is taking off because this is ridiculous yeah. that you buy a thing and you don't own it. Essentially, like you you don't have the right <laughs> to to repair it. Um, right. but he was talking about, yeah, he's like the Apple, the Apple computer would have never happened had we not been able to, to buy things off the shelf, disassemble them and make them into something new without, you know, getting sued or right. whatever it was right. like, you right. know, this used to be a fundamental right. And it's crazy to think that farmers now can't repair their own tractors and that, you know, you could buy a plane and not be able to repair your own plane because if you do, it violates the licensing agreement and now the warranty's void and now you can't get, well, you know. That's mm. a whole nother rabbit That's hole, true. but, but you're right. The fact that people can buy a Cessna like this, mod it how they want it, resell it. Like that's a, that's a great thing because now you have <laughs> two companies sort of working together, sort of, yeah, um, right. to accomplish, you know, a unique goal. Yeah. I, I do think, think you're going to see a lot more of that in the next five years. You will. Well, that's it for today's episode of the Struck Aerospace Engineering Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. And check out the show notes from today's podcast for more information on WeatherGuard Lightning Tech, Strike Tape Lightning Diverters, and all the helpful links from today's show. We'll see you here next time on the Struck Podcast. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.